Good morning. We welcome you here to Redeemer on this uh, snowy morning, and uh, glad that you could make it here. And uh, I'm sure some will be straggling in as they make it through these roads. But uh, we're grateful for the beauty of the white snow, and uh, even reminds us of uh, many promises that come to us in the scriptures. Uh, So as we uh, get started this morning, if you are uh, visiting with us, uh, we're very glad you could join us and hope that uh, you can make your presence known to us. Uh, One of the ways you can do that, one, introduce yourself to a few people afterwards, but uh, another way is to text the word connect, uh, or the word welcome, sorry, to the the number that's on the screen. And uh, you could also fill out the connect card, that's where the other word I was looking for. that card is in the seat back uh, in front of you, and you can just put it in the offering plate, and then we'll take care of that. Uh, most of the announcements are found in either our bulletin or in Redeemer Life, our newsletter. Uh, we have our Sunday school classes that are meeting just after the worship service. They're listed there in the bulletin. Uh, our Sunday school, um, adult Sunday school, will not be here. It'll be down in the youth room, which is at the very end of the hall on the right. Pastor Jeff will be leading that. And then we will not be having Sunday school the next two Sundays. Uh, The next time we uh, come back, January 8th, uh, we'll have uh, Sunday school resume. Uh, After the uh, morning worship service, we have our uh, adult and children's choirs uh, meeting to uh, prepare for our wonderful celebration tonight. And then those same choirs coming back this afternoon at 4.15 for practice, the children in the youth room and the adults in here. And uh, we would love to have all of you there for our our Sunday evening of praise. This is going to be our our kind of biggest uh, musical part of our Christmas celebration and hope that you can be there. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful night, great time to invite friends, neighbors, coworkers, whoever you'd like to join us uh, this evening. We also, it's going to be followed by a food and fellowship time uh, with our Christmas theme. And I hope that you can bring what's selected there for you in the uh, announcement and then uh, join us for that. And then also just want to encourage you to invite others to our Christmas Eve service on Saturday. Uh, We would love to have you here at 5.30 and just enjoy a a wonderful time of um, meditation and preparation for our Christmas time. And then uh, also the women's prayer team uh, invites uh, all of the women uh, of the Redeemer to participate in a 30-day prayer challenge. Uh, Some of you will find a packet uh, in your mailbox. I say some because they actually ran out of packets. Uh, So more will be printed. They'll get those in the boxes this week. Uh, But they'd love to have you uh, be a part of uh, this prayer challenge. If you have any questions, you can contact the team members, uh, which would be uh, Denise M. Speckler, uh, Jeannie Ellens, uh, Jess Helmus, Uh, or Janet Champ, and uh, they'd love to have you be a part of that challenge uh, for this coming new year. So I think that's all my announcements. Let's take a moment now, prepare our hearts as we come before our God.
Well, we gather here this morning to exalt the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 34, saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Well, our Lord uh, came in flesh to live, to die, to rise again. Come behold the wondrous mystery as we stand together.
Gracious Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible opportunity that we have to have our minds challenged and reminded of the incredible mystery of your coming, of your living, of your dying, of your rising again. And we come to celebrate this mystery that though we don't grasp and understand every aspect of it in its completeness because it is of infinite greatness, and yet you have revealed yourself to us in a way that we can understand. As you've given us your word, you've given us the power of your Holy Spirit to draw near to you, and we pray that your Spirit would do a work in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives, Lord. Draw us to yourself. Enable our hearts to be warmed and strengthened to put you above all things. We desire, Lord, to find our true rest in the joy that is found in Jesus alone. Amen. seated. The comfort and joy uh, that we get to celebrate uh, every Christmas season, and not even just in the Christmas season, we get to celebrate every week uh, because of what Jesus did. And yet there are times that we may 
not focus on the reason we can find comfort and we can find joy is because Jesus was willing to be cursed in our place. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians uh, reminds us uh, of what our Lord Jesus came to do and to prepare our hearts to recognize that we are the reason Jesus came, uh, not because we were so worthy, but exactly the opposite, because we are sinners in need of a Savior and that He came uh, to pay that penalty. And so we come to our God confessing uh, our sins to Him. The only way we can actually receive that comfort and joy is indeed by faith and faith alone. Hear now the word of the living God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And as we recognize that in the heart of Mary, as she reflects on all the things that are going on uh, at her at that time of um, Christ's birth, uh, thinking about the promises that God made to Abraham, we have to re- be reminded uh, of those promises as well, that God is fulfilling those through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just something we get to observe as spectators, but ones that we have to lock on to, recognizing that his covenant is something to be believed in, his promises something to be trusted in. So in whatever ways that we find ourselves depending on ourselves and and trusting uh, in what we can do in our own lives, we need to confess those things to our God. And let us do that now in silent prayer. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come acknowledging all of the things that you have done throughout all of history, speaking the universe into existence, creating man by the word of your mouth, breathing life into him. And though we fell, though we sinned, though we rebelled against you in Adam, the representative head of the whole human race, we thank you for sending the second Adam, the one who did not fail, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come asking that your spirit would help our hearts to recognize that there's nothing we can do to clean up our lives and make them worthy to come before you. That as a holy God, you require perfection. And that there's no way we can achieve perfection because we cannot make up for any of the things we have done in the past. It requires 
a Savior to come to be cursed in our place, a Savior that lived the perfect life so that that perfect life can be given to us by faith and we can be redeemed as we trust in that promise. Lord, we come because we want to know you in a deeper way and we ask that your Spirit would enable us to find our greatest rest not in our efforts, but in the work, the accomplished, finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We have a wonderful promise of pardon that comes also in the book of Galatians, just the chapter before in verse 20, when the Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope that promise is very clear to your heart. It is only the Spirit that can make it clear. And it came upon the midnight clear for us as we sing together. Let's stand.
Please join me in our prayer of thanksgiving. Our Heavenly Father, we come unto you, thanking you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace to us in a, in a week gone by already. We thank you, Lord, for traveling mercies this morning, for the beauty of the snowfall, and for uh, the goodness of your creation, Lord. We thank you uh, so much, Lord, for another Advent season where we can sing the, uh, the beautiful songs of Christmas, Lord, where we can hear and read of, Lord God, of your most amazing gift of all, the gift of your Son, our Savior, who you sent into this world, not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for not only for your birth, but for your love for us, for paying the price that our sins and that we deserve, for uh, having victory over the cross, for defeating death, for rising from the grave and bringing salvation and eternal life that is found in you and you alone. We thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the blessing of your holy word, for your commandments, for the wisdom and the guidance that it is to each and every one of us, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. Forgive us for, in this past week, the time that temptation has crept into our hearts, that we have sinned against you, that we have chosen our selfish wants and desires over you and what is good and what is right and what is holy, Lord. We pray that you would give us the strength and the faith to uh, break free from the bondage and the chains of sins, that we might live lives that, of, that are uh, of kindness and humility and seeking to uh, honor and glorify you. And Lord, now as we come to uh, the preaching of your word, we thank you for, we thank you for the gospel of Luke, Lord, for this uh, detailed book and, and the message it gives us of the miracle of the incarnation. Lord, we thank you for our pastors this Christmas season and faithfully um, bringing us the uh, Christmas message of the birth of your Son, our Savior. Lord, we ask that you would be with Pastor Jeff once again, that you would strengthen him and give him what he needs to uh, preach the gospel message. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears, that we would uh, take in your word, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. We ask that you would bless this offering that is about to be taken, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
before we go to our Lord in prayer this morning on behalf of each other in our community. Um, there's one additional thing that I was asked to pray for this morning. Mason Vimree asked me if we could pray for one of his teachers at North Point, Miss Bufton, who is recovering from cancer. And he also asked if we could pray that he would develop good friendships at his school. So this is the time of year that we rejoice in the coming of a child into this world to save sinners like us. And so it's fitting this morning that we not only rejoice that Jesus has come into the world, but that God is at work now, not only in adults, but children as well. So let's go to our God in prayer. Father, one of the promises that you made that is at the very center of the Christian faith is that you would be a God to us and to our children for generations to come. And Peter, when he explained the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, said, For this promise is to you and your children, and for many who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And we read about our Savior in the New Testament. Even when his disciples tried to shoo the children away, he welcomed those children into his presence and said, For such like these belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then we read in the Gospels, that Jesus warned his disciples and he warned those who listened to him that if anyone should cause a child to stumble, it would be better. That if a millstone, a giant rock, were tied around the neck of that person and they drowned rather than causing a child to stumble in their faith. And we are glad to say this morning along with the apostle that our children are holy, set aside to the Lord. And we confess all of that today because your way of working in this world is not through the powerful and the great, but through the lowly and the humble. You've called us to use whatever gifts that we have for your use and for your kingdom. And we are glad that whether we are strong and great or whether we are, uh, whether we are lowly and meek, you've promised that the gospel of Jesus Christ affects all of us. There's no one who is beyond the reach of the gospel, from those who have the most money and the most power to those who seem to lack any power at all, and those who have very little strength, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for each and every one of us. And yet it is the nature of the gospel to delight in using the weak and those who seem to lack any power at all in order to do greatness. And we see that especially in the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ who was born to a teenager who wasn't even at home when Jesus was born, in very humble circumstances, who lived most of his life in, into his adulthood, working manual labor. And it was through him that you chose to save the world, bringing your only begotten Son into this world to live in humility that we might be exalted. And we are thankful this morning for the many blessings that you show us in this life, but especially the blessing of children. We delight in reading in our bulletin those families who are expecting children in the next month or into the new year. We are thankful, Lord, and we pray that for each one of these children who is still in womb, that you would give health and good development. And they would also learn to hear the voice of their Savior that as John the Baptist leaped at the sound of Mary, our Lord's mother, that our children from the various early ages would also leap to hear the voice of their Savior, that they would know and follow Him and love them with all, love Him with all their hearts, 
that even sometimes when it's difficult for them because of their own sin or because of the temptation that comes into the little hearts, we pray that you would protect them and that you would work that new life in them, that they would walk after you. And we delight in watching them grow up and hearing the funny things that they say, but also the sincerity of their prayers and their genuine love for the Lord. And we ask that as they grow, that you would bring around them not only us as parents and grandparents, but also members of our church. We're thankful for those in this church that invest in the youth, for those who teach Sunday school, for those who are involved in boys and girls clubs, for those who are mentoring those who are younger. We rejoice for every one of them. And we are thankful for that investment in our children. And we pray for them as they learn and experience the world that you have made. As they go to Christian day schools or they go to other schools or their home school, teach them to know the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Teach them to walk after you and to see that this world is not the product of some impersonal explosion in many years in the past. But this world was created by an almighty God who has built into it an orderliness and a beauty that is intended to draw us to who God is. And we pray especially for our children as they develop those friendships, as Mason has asked us to pray for him. And we pray for each one of our children that they would have other young men and women who also delight in the same sorts of things and who who love them and can encourage them. We pray for those who instruct them in these schools. We pray for Miss Bufton, and ask that you would give her continued recovery from her cancer, and that you would bring many caring and loving teachers to them. And we also pray for our children as they grow and mature, and they enter high school and college, and some of the more difficult questions in life become apparent. Perhaps they begin dating, or maybe they are searching out what you would like for them to do as you're calling on their life, their vocation. These can be difficult periods in life. Sometimes uncertainty reigns, maybe even uncertainty about who they are and what you have designed them to be. In those moments, we ask that your spirit would be very close to them, that they would not wander from you, but instead these questions would drive them deep into the Word and into relationship with those who can give them good counsel and godly advice. We ask again that you would surround them with members of this church that they feel comfortable going to. We thank you for Pastor Dan and the work that he does for our children at various ages. And we ask that you would not only raise up our children to do great things in their chosen vocation, but you would work in them the fruit of the Spirit, that they would be children and adults who are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and gentleness and self-control. And we pray for them as they enter into those years where they begin their own families, where they see the course of life that you would set out for them. Maybe it is not being married. We rejoice in knowing that you direct them in these moments as well, that you are not a God who is absent from those moments. Even times when there is sorrow and uncertainty, you are still the God who is there. And we ask that you would protect them and keep them. That as the psalmist often says, so we say again this morning, we will tell of the great things that you have done to generation after generation that many would rise up and call you God. 
in a world in which increasingly there are people who identify themselves as nuns and duns, maybe even some of us would identify ourselves in that way. We ask, Lord, that the covenant promises that you've made through generations would be evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than a religious preference. Instead, it is a truth. It is a life. It is a conviction that affects us, not only personally, but in the way that we raise and teach our children. And we pray that the baby who was born in Bethlehem, the one that we delight in this morning, would be the God who would be at work in our children, that the love that he has for them would be so convincing to their hearts they could not help but follow after him in faithfulness. And we raise to you also this morning those who are older than children and yet have the concerns and the burdens of life. We pray for Lydia Person and her family as they mourn the death of her grandfather. We ask that you would comfort both her as well as her grandmother who now misses this man that she had known and loved for many, many years. We rejoice in knowing today that death is not the end, but the resurrection is coming. And we say with all those who are believers who come to that moment when funerals occur, we say, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. We pray along with the Kite family. Father, we rejoice in knowing that you are God who heals and a God who comforts. And along with them, we ask for that continual comfort in your care for them. Lord, you have promised that one day there will be no need for tears. There will be no need for sorrow because the sun will be our light. And in his presence, there is no sin and no effect of sin. And we pray for hope for this family as they continue to grieve. We pray for our brother, Zach Francois, in Haiti as he continues to do his work, supporting missionaries, bringing the gospel. We pray for him, especially in a country in which there is so much discord. Would you protect him personally and all those he works with and cause in the time in which there seems so much unrest for the gospel of Jesus Christ to take firm root? We also pray for, pray for uh, Claris Lorup as she waits for appointments and then analysis and diagnosis of what the next steps are for her. Father, strengthen her not only in her body but also in her spirit that she would know your love and your compassion. Thank you for bringing her to a place where she has family who can care so well for her. And as a congregation, Lord, give us compassion and kindness to support and care for her. And we pray that also for our dear sister, Gail Stahl. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have been at work in her, both her body and her spirit. And we pray that you would carry her along in moments where she feels weak. She would know your power and your strength. That in every moment that she would look to you for her hope. Father, that is our prayer together. And we are glad that through your word you've given us confidence that this is not just a wish but we can come boldly before you because you are God who has said in your son, we appear to you as perfect as your son himself. And because of that, we come boldly this morning and we pray that you would do a great work, not only in those that we have prayed for, but now as your word is preached. We recognize the weakness that we may bring when we come to preach and to hear your word. We are not the strength you are. We are not the power you are. And so we pray that your spirit would do 
a great and mighty thing because he desires to exalt Jesus Christ as we do as well. May your spirit now be in the words that we're about to read and hear. And may he convict us and comfort us as is necessary as you know each one of our hearts needs. We pray these words in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Many of you will likely not have the experience of standing here on a Sunday morning and praying, at least leading the prayer, but I can tell you it's one of my favorite things to do on Sunday. It's a real delight, and I thank you for praying along with me and with each other. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. This morning we're coming to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. This continues the series of sermons that we're preaching from Luke 1 and 2. You will hear more from Luke 1 and 2 in this coming week, first on Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning. This morning we're reading Mary's song of praise after she visits Elizabeth and she sees that Elizabeth is also expecting her faith is confirmed and then she says these words from Luke chapter 1 verse 46. Please read along with me. These are the words of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked in the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of our Lord. October 2nd of 2006 seemed like most days at this small school in rural Pennsylvania. About 10.30 that morning... A pickup truck backed up to the front door of that small school, and the children, at least some of them, could look out and see the driver get out. As he left his truck and came into the building, he asked the teacher and the students if they had seen a missing clevis pin that he believed he had lost the day before. The children and the teacher said, sorry, we don't know which you're talking about, we haven't seen it, and the man left. Only the man didn't leave. A few minutes later, he came back with a handgun and ordered some of the boys to carry in lumber, a shotgun, wire, chains, nails, tools, metal eye hooks, candles, plastic zip ties, along with a small duffel bag in which he had a change of clothing. And what happened next was heard around the world. The man barricaded himself inside of the school building, releasing everyone but ten of the girls, and eventually shot and killed five of them before turning the gun on himself 
and him personally leaving behind a wife and three children. It's a very sad story. Maybe you remember it. But the reason that you might remember it is that that's not the end of the story. By that evening, the parents of those five slain girls had gone to this man's wife and his parents, and they had told his wife and this man's parents that they forgive them, that they mourned with them, that they had also lost a husband, a father, a son, and they grieved Three young children had lost someone very important to them. And later when there were funerals, 30 members of that church community went to the shooter's funeral. And they invited the widow of the shooter to attend the funerals of their daughters. Around the world, people wondered how in the world could this Christian community, this Amish community, respond with such grace and forgiveness in such a horrible situation when someone responded with such violence to them how could they be so kind how could they let go of the desire for revenge how could they so quickly offer kindness to the family of a man who had hurt them so badly and even permanently how could they be so humble the answer i have for you this morning is economics And I don't mean economics in the narrow sense of the word, that is how money flows through society. But I mean economics in the general sense of the word about how things work in this world. Specifically, how things work within the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, in the economics of the kingdom of God, God works greatness through what we would not expect, that is, humility. In a world in which our children are told, if you do not stand up for yourself, you do not promote yourself, if you do not take care of yourself, no one will. In the Christian community, we tell our children, we inculcate in the very fabric of their soul that what matters not is how you can promote yourself, but rather how you can humbly serve your God. And these parents had told their children, and these children looked at their parents, and they saw people for whom that humility was true. And they saw in the Christian faith the reality of what we're going to talk about this morning, that God moves greatness through the humble. And in this song, you see a great reversal for how the world ordinarily works. It's not the proud, it's not the strong, it's not those who promote themselves. No, this teenage girl sings a song. This humble young woman sings a song in which greatness is brought through humility. This morning as I preach this to you, I have a pastoral objective in doing so. My objective is that you would learn to sing along with Mary. The form of this passage is a song. It's not meant simply for theological reflection, although we certainly can do that. The point of this song is that you would learn to sing along with Mary how wonderful is our God that he brings greatness through the humble. And I would be thrilled this morning 
as you laugh or as you sing after I'm finished with this sermon, it would be more than your mind that is moved to want to appreciate this truth. Your heart is also stirred to want to sing and be joyful in the way that God works. I want to talk about the economy of the kingdom, that God brings greatness to the lowly in three ways this morning. The first is rather simple. You'll see that that economy is personal. In verses 46 through 49, that economy is personal. You will not be surprised in these four verses that Mary is singing based on reflection of what has happened in her life. God has done a profound thing. She heard from an angel that she would be the one through whom the Messiah would come. And then she went to visit her relative Elizabeth because God had said she will also have a child. And Mary comes and sees that, in fact, Elizabeth is expecting a child. And Mary cannot help but rejoice. And there are some very particular things that Mary says in this song that make this song of joy so important for her personally. And I want to point them out. There are three things. First, she stresses in verse 46 that my soul and my spirit rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you've heard that so many times, it doesn't have much of an effect on you. But it would be the way of saying, we might say to our children when they're singing, practicing after this morning's service, or when they sing tonight, or maybe Ginger will say to one of you as you're practicing for tonight's service, sing from your heart. This isn't just about the words that are coming out of you. Sing like they matter. These words are that important. That's what Mary is expressing. What I'm singing, rejoicing about comes from my heart. This is deeply personal. It's not simply some truth. This is truth that I have seen that matters and transforms. The reason... She sings from her heart is because verse 48 says, God has been gracious and looking upon his lowly servant. And Mary calls herself a bond woman, literally, or a female slave. She is intentionally describing the lowliness, the humility of her position. The lowly estates would ordinarily be used. It's the language found in other places in the Bible to describe a woman who was barren, who wanted so badly to have a child, she would consider herself lowly. But Mary, even though she's expecting, uses the same language to say, I am naturally empty in myself. But God is great. He is powerful. So even though I am lowly, I take joy in who God is. The second way in which Mary contrasts her lowliness with the greatness of God is in the words that she chooses to use throughout this song. You may not recognize this. But this song has an immediate parallel in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. Quick question, do you know what's found in that passage? Maybe not. It's the song that Hannah offers, a woman who is barren, when Samuel was born. She uses the same intro that Mary uses here. Now here's the interesting thing. Not only does Mary borrow the words of Hannah to sing and sing for joy that God is doing a great thing in her, 
But literally every phrase that comes in this song is taken from the Old Testament somewhere. She is singing the words of God back to him. She's saying over and over, God, you have given these words to your people in the Old Testament to talk about your greatness. And now I see that the words that you spoke in the Old Testament are true. They were true in the Old Testament and they're true in my circumstance. This is the way you have always worked and now I can see you working here in me in this way. Praise the Lord. I take joy in what you have always done and now what you are doing also in me. Great things through a humble person. And the third way in which he emphasizes the personal nature of this great economy of the kingdom is something that may be a little difficult for you to see, but I want to explain it to you because it's so important. You'll notice in these first two verses that there are two words that talk about rejoicing. The first word about rejoicing is to magnify or to make great. And that's a word that is used in the present. In other words, I am rejoicing. I am making you great right now, God. The second time she says rejoicing, it is not in the present. It's almost like a verb that is used to describe a snapshot. Something that has happened and you can see it. It's vivid in your mind. When you take these two together, what Mary is saying is not only is she rejoicing now, she is saying this is just the beginning of the rejoicing that is going to go on and on and on and on and on forever. The story of Jesus and the joy resulting from him, his entrance into the world, that God works great things through the humble, through the unexpected, through the lowly. This singing, this joy, Mary says, will go on for generations because God is not only doing it now, he will do it forever. The emphasis here is on the power of God to work for his people. The emphasis is on, on, is on his power, not on her. The emphasis is on how great God works for his people. In fact, you'll notice in her song she talks about God as holy. In this context, she's not referring primarily to him holy morally, although God is certainly holy in a moral sense, apart from all sin, that is absolutely true. But he's not referring to God's holiness and the moral quality here. She is referring to God as holy in the more general sense that he is set apart, that he is great, that his almighty power is far above anyone else. And of all the amazing things that God chooses to do in this world, he is bringing his son through this lowly woman. That's the economy of the kingdom, Mary says. And she could see it very clearly. The second way you can see this economy at work in this song of praise is not only is it personal, it's also pervasive. Look in your Bibles at verses 50 through 53. 
It says His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. It goes on forever. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. You notice the reversal of all the expectation The rich do not go away full. No, they go away hungry. Those who are poor go away full. Those who are powerful, are they raised up? No, they're torn down. Those who are humble are exalted. The only explanation for this is it is God who is at work. This is not the natural expectation that we have. No, this is the way God works. In fact, this mercy that is mentioned in these verses is the mercy that is found in the Old Testament referring almost always, to God's faithfulness faithfulness in His covenant to His people. And what Mary is singing is that what she has experienced personally, that is, that God brings greatness to humility, it's not only for her that it is true. This is the way God has worked for generation after generation through the Old Testament, in her life, into the New Testament, and I can say even now. God is not looking to do great things simply by the greatness of our strength. No, Mary says, God does great things through the humble. To put it simply, Mary is saying, this economy is pervasive. It has always worked this way. Because he uses this economy to reverse our expectations. The way the kingdom of God works is that he expects to do things that we would not. And then the third way I want you to see that this economy, this doing great things through the humble, it's not only personal and pervasive, it's also proven. You can see that in verses 54 and 55. The last few verses describe the way that God treated His Old Testament people Israel. She goes back to the Old Testament in order to say, this is not only true for me, And this is not only the way that God has always worked, but this is the way we can see God working in our forefathers in the Old Testament. I simply want to remind you the way that God describes the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, he says, I did not set my love on you because you were greater than all others, because you were more numerous, because you were more powerful than others. No, he said, I set my love on you Because I desire to. Because you were ones I had determined to set my love upon. If you look over the history of the nation of Israel, you will know they were never considered a world power. They were not the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans. They were a small country and a slice of the Middle East that was often under the control of another power. And yet it was through this little nation, these small people, the ones God says in Deuteronomy He did not choose because of their great power, these are the ones that God did and does use. He works greatness through humility. Which leads me, having explained this song of joy, to two things I want to say to you. I want to make a historical application and then a rather personal application to you as you listen to this sermon. 
The historical application may seem to you to be a bit far-fetched at first, so I want to explain it to you. And I want to read a quote from a man who was not friendly to Christianity at all. In fact, he was opposed to it. Frederick Nietzsche said that Christianity, quote, has taken the part of all the weak, the low, the botched. It has made an ideal out of antagonism to the self-preservation instincts of sound life. Do you hear that? Nietzsche, when describing the pity that Christians have for the low, for the poor, for those who are struggling, for those who need help, he said Christianity actually does humanity a disservice. Because instead of letting those who are lowly and weak and need help simply to go the way that all nature says they ought to go. That is, they just disappear. No, into history come these Christians who historically took children who were wanted by no one else, established hospitals to care for those who were sick, who gave food to the hungry, who visited those in prison. He said Christianity Christianity is distinguished by their desire to help those who are not strong. And I would say to you, brothers and sisters, this is not only true historically, this is the very nature of Christianity. It is at the core of the incarnation that out of weakness God brings strength. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, He says, but God chooses what appears to be foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Historically, it is true, and I want to emphasize for this again, I want to emphasize for you this point again, God intentionally seeks to offend the powers of this age. The way the church works is unlike any other organization. Because who we are is defined by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Even the way that we view power and influence and authority is affected by the incarnation. God changes from the inside out. He changes through grace and forgiveness rather than manipulation and raw power. And because of that, we inculcate... Because of the incarnation, we inculcate virtues of kindness and mercy and humility. Which brings me to my personal application. This is not only true in history, my friends. This must be true for each person who follows after Jesus Christ. If Christ came in weakness so that the glory, the strength of God would be magnified, then the same should be true in us. I want to make a particular application to the way that we think about our children. 
That was hinted at in the story that I used to open this sermon, but as I come near to the end, I want to apply that very specifically. We tell our children all kinds of things. I can remember my mom saying to me when I was very young, Jeffrey, she always called me Jeffrey, you can do anything you want to do. The world is open to you. I'm not sure that was technically true, but it was her way of voicing confidence in me that I could. We are in favor, perhaps, of saying similar things to our children. Succeed, try hard, work hard, do your best. All those things are good. I'm in no way discrediting that kind of encouragement to use the best that we have for the service of Christ. But behind that desire to do our very best ought to lay a spirit that is rooted in in humility. I'm not here simply to serve myself or to take for myself as much as I can gain. That is contrary to the nature of the gospel. Instead, Jesus came, as Mark says, not to be served, but to serve and to offer himself as a ransom for many. He came to give of himself. And friends, the nature of the incarnation that our God gives of himself in order to save those who are unworthy calls us as followers of Jesus Christ to give ourselves in the service to others. It may be someone in our home, it may be our children, our spouse, it may be our neighbor, our community, our world. That the Christian faith would be marked By the song of Mary that rings through the age, that God works great things through the humble. Maybe God has called you in your particular place to be at the very height of your occupation. Maybe you're the world's world's best and greatest mother or father. Maybe you succeed in some avocation a way almost no one else has. Praise the Lord that is good. But may in the hearts that beats in your chest the motivation that you have be rooted in the song that Mary sings. That my soul rejoices in the Lord who takes the lowly and through them works great things. Our God has done that in Jesus Christ. And now he calls us as followers of our Savior Jesus To have, as Paul says in Philippians 2, the same mind that was in Jesus our Savior. Sing, rejoice, be glad in what God our Savior has done. Amen. Father, it is not important for us to see ourselves as the strong, as the powerful, as those who can give. Instead, it is more important for us to see ourselves as your servants, to love you above all else and our neighbor as ourselves. We confess, as we have already done this morning, that is contrary to our nature. We do believe, often in the heart of hearts, that if we don't take it for ourselves, no one will give it to us. 
And we do pray for justice. We want justice, as the prophets said, to rain down. But in the pursuit of justice, may we never seek vengeance. Because that belongs to you. Instead, teach us to look at all of life from the perspective of our Savior, Jesus Christ, with the humility that is palatable. Forgive us when we have lacked that, when in our pride we believe others don't treat us the way that we deserve. Or even worse, Lord, when we call out to you or we harbor in our heart and our mind that somehow you have treated us unfairly. Instead, we pray that you would give us that heart of our Savior Jesus by his Spirit to walk after you not only in faithfulness, but faithfulness in this regard that we would be truly humble. Father, we are so thankful for the economy of your kingdom. And so we rejoice and sing to you in joy for the great things you have done. For we offer this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the joy of standing and singing together. Let's do that. Just a reminder that after the benediction and doxology, the children and adults who are singing are asked to remain here so they can go right to that practice. Now the blessing of our God.
May you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Go in his peace. Amen.